If anybody needs a Bible, we have Stuart and Richard up here. and They'd be glad to hand you a Bible if you need one this morning so that you can follow along as we study God's Word. We are going to be in the back, the book of um, Haggai. I have my Bible open to the wrong thing. I almost said the wrong one. We could teach from there. I'm in mean, Habakkuk, but actually I, I do want to kind of stick with uh, Haggai, though. That was what I taught earlier <laughs> in the first service. So we'll, we'll just go with that. <clears throat> to start off with, though, I, I want to just say a few words my wife and I really, really enjoy Calvary Chapel Springfield. We, we love this church. We love Pastor Tom, and we love his uh, wife, and we love his precious family, and uh, we love you guys. And there's some of you I know a little bit, and there's some of you I want to get to know better, especially here in the second service, because my wife and I usually go to the first service with her folks. Um, and so some of you I don't know as well. But everybody we've gotten to know, we really love and appreciate this fellowship of believers. We've been really impressed with the people who who are involved in all the different ministries. We so appreciate the people who serve faithfully and regularly in the the various ministries here. And we're very proud to be associated, to be affiliated with with you, with this body of believers. This is a good church, uh, and we, we we, we appreciate the love and the fellowship that we have in the Holy Spirit, the bond we feel here. We, we really, really enjoy this, this church. And I'm hoping that today's message, uh, teaching, will be uh, encouraging to you to continue on in service uh, to one another. Uh, we all need each other. And uh, that's kind of where we're going with the book of Haggai. So if you want to turn to Haggai, it's uh, pretty easy to find if you go to Matthew and then just back up three books, Malachi, Zechariah, and then Haggai is the one before that. So it's third to the last book of the Old Testament. We're also going to be looking at Ezra. And uh, so you may want to put a bookmark or something in the Haggai because we're coming back to it. Uh, well, we'll actually start there, but then we'll take a quick uh, overview of uh, some events in the book of Ezra. Ezra is not too hard to find. It's right after Chronicles. Or if you want to work backwards, if you open your Bible in the middle, that'll put you in the Psalms. And then you go back through Job and Esther and Nehemiah. And then Ezra is before that. So they're both pretty easy to find, but they're both uh, not very large books, very, very long books. So that's where we're going to be reading and teaching from today. And so even though we have the message title up here, Get Busy, uh, we know that many of you are busy, uh, but we just want to encourage the ones who are not, or we want to encourage the ones who are that we're busy about doing the things that God's called us to, and we'll, we'll get to that. So now you know where I'm going. Um, now you can go on the journey with me to get there. <laughs> Father, we are thankful for your precious word. It's good, and it's um, necessary. As Job said, I've esteemed the words of your mouth more than my necessary food, and we uh, recognize that we need your word. And so we ask that you would bless your word this morning. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would empower your word this morning, and that you would teach us and have your way with us to the glory of Jesus. We ask it in his name. Amen. The book of Haggai is the second shortest book of the Old Testament. Obadiah is actually the shortest. It's only one chapter. Haggai's got two Um, 
we're really, even though it's uh, only two chapters, we're probably only going to get through the first chapter in the time we have allotted to us this morning. <clears throat> Haggai is a post-exile prophet, meaning we have prophets like Isaiah and even Jeremiah. We're studying Jeremiah on Wednesday nights, and Jeremiah, uh, he, he was right before and then even into the time where Babylon came in, destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, carried the people away. Being a post-exile prophet means after they had been in exile for 70 years, according to the word of Jeremiah, uh, Cyrus gave them permission to come back to the land of Israel, and they returned. And so uh, Haggai and then the the ones, if you started in Matthew, like I mentioned, the the other ones, uh, Malachi and Zechariah, they are also post-exile prophets. Um, In fact, Haggai and Zechariah were contemporaries. Zechariah started his ministry two months after Haggai. How do we know this? Well, they tell us. Uh, one of the distinguishing characteristics of uh, Haggai is that he dates every one of every time God spoke to him, he wrote down what day it was. <laughs> and so every time. And so we know exactly when he started, and, and Zechariah did the same thing. So we know that's uh, Haggai started in the second month, I mean, um, the sixth month, and, uh, and, um, Zechariah started in the eighth month, so we know it's two months after. Uh, but they were contemporaries. Uh, when I said Haggai, and if you thought about that old woman with the big nose and that big eye that gave Sleeping Beauty the the apple, that's the wrong hag and the wrong eye. <laughs> Haggai, in Hebrew you'd actually pronounce his name Haggai, and his name is related to the word for feast. And they still use that word today when they have a feast, like the Feast of the Unleavened Bread or um, um, any feast, um, Feast of Sukkot, it's Chag. If you're uh, greeting somebody that's Jewish and they're celebrating one of the holy days, you you say Chag Sameach, that's a happy feast. Have a joyful feast. You're wishing them a, a joyful feast. Chag Sameach. And so um, his name is related to the word for feasting. And we hope that we have a feast here this morning. Um, It would appear that Haggai was a prophet for only a short amount of time. At least we don't know how long his ministry lasted, but as far as his biblical ministry, his written ministry, we know it was a short time. It was only uh, three months and 24 days because he dated each one of his messages here. So we know that. But what he said was from the Lord, and he mentions the Lord in all capital letters in English or English Bibles. That's the sign of the divine name. Some people say Jehovah. I'm 100% sure that is not how it's pronounced. We often say Yahweh. That's probably closer, but we don't know exactly how it's pronounced. But the divine name, the personal name of God, is usually represented by all capital letters in the uh, English Bibles. Um, Zechariah and Haggai overlapped about one and a half months. And so uh, his name, Haggai, is mentioned uh, nine times in Hebrew in the Old Testament and twice in Aramaic, but it's spelled and pronounced the same way. So let's go ahead and just look at the first verse and get introduced to some more people, and then we'll go from there. In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, and we'll pause there to introduce who these people are. Uh, this, this particular, there's a couple of different Dariuses, or Dariuses, 
And this one is the Persian king, Darius Hispatus, who ruled from 522 to 486 B.C. And he said, this is the message of the Lord that came by Haggai. So the message is, is the Lord's, Yahweh's message. Haggai is the instrument that God used. Who did he speak to? To whom is his prophecy given? It's given to Zerubbabel. He was the governor of Judah. He's the son of Shealtiel. He's of the line of David. He's in the genealogy of Jesus. He's the grandson of King Jehoiakim. And King Jehoiakim is sometimes called Jeconiah. That's the same guy, if you see the different names. And Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, is the high priest. And his dad, Jehozadak, was one of the exiles. Uh, sometimes we wonder, why did God put all those names in the genealogies? And the reason he did is to give us further information. There's a lot of good information to be gleaned from genealogies. And if we go back to the genealogy in 1 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 15, we know that Jehozadak was the high priest who was taken away captive by Nebuchadnezzar when he destroyed Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. And now his son, Joshua, comes back, and he's the, the priest at this, at this particular point in time. And the message of Haggai is regarding, the, and we haven't got to that yet, but we will, uh, regarding the rebuilding of the temple, the second temple, since Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the first one. And his prophecy came in the sixth month, which is the month of Elul. Uh, and that is, the Hebrew calendar is a lunar calendar, and so it varies from our Gregorian, what, what we use is called the Gregorian calendar, and it varies because the month, the months aren't all lining up with the cycles of the moon, and so it's um, for our calendar. This would take place roughly the end of towards the end of August and into September, the month of Elul, the sixth month. So when we take the date given here and we convert it over to our Gregorian calendar, this took place about August 29th of 520 BC on our current calendar. The fact that it's the first day of the month means it was a new moon, okay? So when you want to understand the Bible better, what's the best commentary on the Bible? The Bible. I knew you knew. <laughs> I knew you knew. And so um, we already looked and saw that the Bible is a good commentary on the Bible. When we wanted to find out about Jehoshadak, and we found out he was the one who was carried in Babylon by looking at the the uh, genealogy. But what we want to do is get a historical context on Haggai's day. Find out what had been going on, what was going on, and what would what would go on. Okay? So we're going to keep your finger in Haggai. We're going to take a little trip over to Ezra, and we're going to fly through some passages in Ezra. But we're going to start with chapter 1. Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given me. And he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is among you of all his people? May his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord, God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. And whoever is left of any 
in any place where he dwells, let the men of his place help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, besides the free will offerings for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. And so Cyrus, who was actually prophesied by Isaiah hundreds of years before, he named him by name, said, Cyrus, my servant, is going to let the people go. Here he is, fulfilled literally by name. Cyrus became the ruler after the... Um, Medes and the Persians defeated Babylon, and he, God tells him, have my people go back to their land of Israel and build the temple. And so he does that. Now, the remainder of chapter 1 tells about some of the provisions that he made and such, including the fact that Nebuchadnezzar took articles out of the original temple built by Solomon, took them to Babylon. Cyrus gives those vessels back to the priests to carry back to the new temple that they're to build. So that's their mission. That's their assignment. What are they supposed to do? Build a temple. Why are they allowed to go back home? Build a temple. That's what they're supposed to do. Okay? Then if we go to chapter 2, we have a list of all the people who went back. Okay? And took these things back. And they're going back to build the temple. All right? Then we go to chapter 3. Chapter 2 is kind of long. There's a lot of people that went back. Then we get to chapter 3, and we find in verses 2 through 4 that they built the altar, verse 2. They arose and built the altar of God. That's the first thing they did. Before setting up the, the temple itself, they built the altar, and they began to offer burnt offerings as is written in the Law of Moses, the man of God. In verse 4, we also see that they kept the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, or Sukkot, as it is in Hebrew. and they, So they kept the feast, as it is written, uh, and they offered the daily burnt offerings and the number required by ordinance for each day. Those are listed in Numbers chapter 29. <clears throat> and so they built the altar, they kept the Feast of Tabernacles, they started to work on the temple. And in verse 10, it says, When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their peril with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with symbols to praise the Lord according to the ordinance of David, king of Israel. So they laid the foundation. The foundation got, got put down and was ready for the building, but something happened. In chapter 4, the enemies tried to get them to stop, and they wrote a letter to the king. Well, Cyrus was no longer the king. Now there's a new guy in charge. His name was Artaxerxes. And they said the Jews are doing this. And he tells them to stop. And that's what we have in chapter 4. They get ordered to discontinue the work on the temple. Then in chapter 5, verse 1, we see the prophet Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Edo, prophets, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. So Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Josedach, rose up and began to build the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, helping them. And so they, the prophets came along. That's where we're, This is contemporary with where we're going to be studying in Haggai. This is what's going on. God spoke to the prophets, the spoke people. The people believed the prophets, and they started work. Okay. This was at about 520 B.C. This is about 16 years after they were told to stop the work. The obedience to the prophets kicked off a chain of events. 
We look at chapter 5, verse 6. The enemies, again, write to the king. Well, Artaxerxes is not king anymore. Another guy's king. His name is Darius. So they wrote to the king and said, well, the Jews are building and we, you know, we think they ought to stop and we want to find out what you have to say about it. So chapter 6, Ezra chapter 6. King Darius had some research done, looked through the archives, and what did they find? They found the original command by Cyrus that they were supposed to go back and build the temple. And so then in verse 6, we have Darius' response to the people who had written to him about the fact that they were building, which is contemporary to the time uh, that we are going to be studying in the book of Haggai. Now, verse 6, Now therefore, Tatanai, governor of the region beyond the river, okay, these are the people that wrote to Darius originally, and he tells them at the end of verse 6, Keep yourselves far from there. Let the work of this house be of God alone. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews build this house of God on its site. Moreover, I issue a decree as, as to what you shall do for the elders of these Jews for the building of the house of God. Let the cost be paid at the king's expense from the taxes on the region beyond the river. And this is to be given immediately to these men so that they are not hindered. And whatever they need, young bulls, rams, lambs for the burnt offerings of the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, oil, according to the request of the priests who are in Jerusalem, let it be given them day by day without fail, that they may offer the sacrifices of sweet aroma to the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and his sons. I like Darius. Also, I issue a decree that whoever alters this edict, let a timber be pulled from his house and erected and let him be hanged on it and let his house be made a refuse heap. That means like a latrine, okay, because of this. If they get in the way of what he wants them to do, building the house of God in Jerusalem. And may the God who causes his name to dwell there destroy any king or people who put their hand to alter it or to destroy this house of God, which is in Jerusalem. I... Darius, issue a decree, let it be done diligently. Wow, what a chain of events this obedience to the prophets have set off. If we continue a little bit farther uh, and go to chapter 6, verse 15, we will see that now the temple was finished on the third day of the month of Adar, which was the six, uh, in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. So, um, the twelfth month, Adar, that's the twelfth month. Adar is the twelfth month. And on the third day, that's four years, six months, and three days after Haggai began to prophesy. What an amazing set of events. So it's like a, the people were radical in their obedience, and God did some great things for them. After that, the temple service and worship were reinstated. And then. There's about 60 years go by between, before, uh, between chapter 6 and 7 in Ezra, but we are not going there. We've got everything we want to get out of Ezra for right now as pertaining to this lesson. So we can flip back over to um, Haggai. So what was it that the prophet said that kicked off this chain of events? I'm glad you asked. We'll go to verse 2. <laughs> Actually, we go through 2, two through 11. Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the Lord 
Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earn wages to put into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you withhold the dew and the earth withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land and on the mountains, and on the grain, on the new wine, on the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and on livestock and on all the labor of your hands. And so things have not been going well for them. And why? They weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing. They were told what they were supposed to do. You go back to the land of Israel and build the house of Yahweh. That's what you're supposed to do. And they didn't do it. They got told to stop. I know I understand how that happened. Lord of hosts, we see that a number of times in this passage. In verse 2, he says the Lord of hosts. In verse 5, he says the Lord of hosts. In verse 7, he says the Lord of hosts. In verse 9, he says Lord of hosts. That is Haggai's favorite name for God. It's the name of God and Tzavaot. Tzavaot, it's a host. So you could say armies, but uh, uh, he uses this name uh, 14 times in these two short chapters. He uses this name for God, the Lord of hosts, 14 times. Notice he didn't say in verse 2, my people. He says, tell this people. Well, they didn't call them my people. They weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing. They were probably doing some good things, but they weren't doing what he wanted them to do, what he had told them to do, what he had sent them to do. He mentions paneled houses in verse 4. Paneled houses usually in the Old Testament is in reference to temples or palaces of kings or that's it. so it would appear that they had nice houses and there's nothing wrong with having a nice house but they weren't working on God's house um, verse 5 we see a, a phrase this is also one of the key words in, in Haggai he says consider your ways he uses this um, four or five times and the word for consider it literally says set your heart on your ways in Hebrew it's that's literally word for word would be set your heart on your ways uh, in fact it would be set y'all's heart on y'all's ways is plural <laughs> if Haggai was from a little farther south he might have well actually he did say that that's that <laughs> maybe he was from you know southern Judah I don't know but anyway uh, that was how he said it and they came to hard times. Now, they, God warned them about this back in the book of Leviticus, chapter 26. He also warned them in Deuteronomy, chapter 28. He says, if you do not do what I tell you to do, then this is going to happen. And if you still don't listen, then I'm going to do this. And if you still don't listen, I'm going to do that. And that's exactly what he's telling them here. Was it because, uh, why? Because they were being disobedient. They weren't doing what they were supposed to do. I was raised in church and I have heard this passage taught a number of times and it's about the tithe. But guess what? 
I didn't see the word tithe in there at all. And guess what? The tenth is not mentioned in Hebrew either. It's not just the translation. It's not there. This is not about the tithe at all. It's not about tithing. What is it about? I'm glad you asked. It's about honoring God. It's about doing what God has called us to do. It's about serving him. So while 6 to 8, verses 6 to 8, show us the ramifications for not honoring God, is it because God's trying to be mean? No. He told them he was going to do this. What, is, what does he want? He wants to get their attention. Whenever things are going against us, sometimes things go against us because we're doing what's right. But sometimes things go against us because we're not doing what we should be doing. And in this case, it was to get their attention. And he wanted them to do what was best for them, what was best for their nation, and what they were supposed to be doing, what they were sent to do, what they were called to do. Let's move on to verse 12 and 13. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God sent him. And the people feared the presence of the Lord. Then, after they obeyed the Lord and obeyed the words of the prophet and feared the Lord, the presence of the Lord, then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people saying, I am with you, says the Lord. I am with you. Remnant of the people, this is a term that's used for the ones who came back from Babylon to the land of Israel. But we can see the results of the prophecy. Haggai faithfully told them what God had said. Contrast this to the book of Jeremiah. On Wednesday nights, we're going through the book of Jeremiah. And poor Jeremiah, he's the weeping prophet. He's just pleading with the people and telling them what God had said and uh, prophesying and said, if you don't turn, Babylon's going to come and destroy the city. He gave them opportunity after opportunity to repent. And they were so stiff-necked, so hard-headed that they would not, would not, could not bring themselves to repent. God bent over backwards. He said, if you can find one man, one man who will do what's right, what, right, what is right and do what is just, I'll spare the whole city. God didn't want to destroy the city. He couldn't find one man. Later on, he sends Jeremiah he says, go speak in the, in the gates and say, if you will keep the Sabbath, then I will not let anybody come in and destroy the city. I will protect this city and the kings and the princes will continue to go in and out these gates. If you, if you just keep the Sabbath. I got all these commandments. And I gave you 10 written in stone. Can you do the easy one? All you have to do is rest. All you have to do is rest. Honor the Sabbath day. If you do that, I'll spare the whole city. He didn't say anything about quit murdering or quit, <laughs> quit idolatry or anything. Can, can you just keep the Sabbath? God is just bending over backwards. They couldn't do it. Not even that. Later on, he talks to the king, Zedekiah. He said, if you will just judge rightly, condemn the wicked, let the innocent go free. If you'll just judge rightly, I will spare the whole city. Couldn't do it. God bent over backwards. Jeremiah had such a rough Ministry, everything I just told you, that's all coming out of the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah had a rough ministry. But now we look here at Haggai. He preaches this little itty-bitty sermon, and the people radically obey, radical obedience. 
Not many prophets had that kind of response. They obeyed the Lord, verse uh, 12. They obeyed the Lord. They obeyed the words of his prophets. And they feared the Lord. Radical obedience. When you hear from God, do it. I remember one time after we moved from Wichita up to Sioux Falls, South Dakota, uh, I was going through a hard time and was feeling kind of discouraged. And I got a phone call from a friend. And he said, the Lord told me to call you. I'm, I'm in here taking a bath. And I thought, too much information. I don't. <laughs> he said, I'm in here taking a bath. And the Lord said, call you. He said, I didn't want to put it off. The Lord said to call you, so I'm calling you. And he, he, and he encouraged my heart. I mean, it was the thing of God. And he was, that was radical obedience. Just do it. He just got busy. Oh, it's, just, it's not up there now. <laughs> he said, when you hear from God, do it. I'm not selling Nikes. I'm not saying just do it. I'm just saying, <laughs> when you hear from God, in fact, I wouldn't do that now. I wouldn't, I wouldn't pump, the, pump up uh, Nike right now. But um, when you hear from God, just do it. As soon as it was in uh, their hearts to honor God, they began to do what God wanted them to do, and God began to open the doors and provide for them. And the first thing he does is assures them of his presence. Let's just say there's a line here. And this is doing what God wants, the right side. The left side over here is I'm living in my paneled house and I'm very comfortable with where I am and I'm just kind of being lethargic or, or maybe just apathetic. Uh, you know, that's one of the problems in the world today is too much apathy, but I really don't care. And, <laughs> and so they were apathetic and not doing what they're supposed to do. And as soon as they heard the words of the prophet, they began to become obedient. They did what God told them to do. And then God says, I'm with you. Well, why? Who moved? They did. They went from this side to this side. They got under, under the shelter of the umbrella of where God wanted them to be. And if you want to be under the spout where the blessings come out, you need to be where God wants you to be, doing what God wants you to do. And so they, God didn't move, but they did. And he says, he, he assures them and encourages them and says, I am with you. He assured them of his presence. And God is with us in even a more full way uh, when we move into radical obedience. Um, he promised us in Matthew 28, 20, said, Behold, I am with you always. Or the old King James, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's go on to uh, verse 14 and 15. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Jehozo uh, Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the remnant of the people. And they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. So 24 days later, he started his, his prophecy back in verse 1 on the first day of that same month. And on the 24th, they started work. So we see this radical obedience, and it's followed by a closer walk with the Lord, a closeness to the Lord, and this followed the radical stirring, uh, radical stirring of the Holy Spirit 23 days later. Then there's almost a full month between the chapters, and we don't really have time to go into chapter 2 very much, but I, I will point out a few things. Um, one of them was that they said, or Haggai said, who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how, does it, how do you see it now? In comparison with it, is this not nothing in your eyes? And he tells them to be strong 
And that he says uh, again in verse 4, I am with you. His presence. Communicating his presence with them. And he says, my spirit, verse 5, my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. And then he tells them that this house will be greater than the first temple. He says in verse 7, I will shake the nations and they will come to the desire of all nations. And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. What, or I should say who, is desire of all nations? It's Jesus. Where do we get peace with God? From Jesus. What made this temple better than the other one? Jesus, the one in whom the fullness of the Godhead dwelt bodily, was there in this place, physically there, healing people, teaching the people. There was a greater glory for this second temple than what there was for the first temple. So when the people heard the prophecies, they heard from God, they responded with radical obedience, and God promised his presence here in chapter 2, the presence of his Holy Spirit. And he said that even though this temple didn't look like much, uh, it was going to be special. So too, our service to the Lord, we look at it in our own eyes and go, well, it's not much. I, I can't do much or what I'm doing is not that important. And I think that God would say to us the same thing. Does it look little in your eyes? It's not. When we are radically obedient... He blesses, and we have his presence. And what we do is important. <clears throat> and God is able to use our service to accomplish his purposes, just as he promised to glorify this temple. God promised great things for the radical obedience and set off an amazing set of events. God even put it into the heart of the king to underwrite the whole temple uh, and the necessary and for the necessary sacrifices. Now, I'm not saying that you say, okay, God's called me to do this, and so I'm going to be radically obedient, and uh, so I expect I'm going to get a phone call from uh, Donald Trump, President Trump, and he's going to offer to underwrite my ministry. I'm not saying that that... Could that happen? God can do whatever he wants. <laughs> but I'm not saying we, we should expect that necessarily. Uh, I would say that we can expect the Lord's presence, and I would expect that we can have the Lord's blessing. But whether it's Donald Trump or Jeff Bezos or, or Bill Gates or anybody else with a great deal of wealth, um, that's not really the issue. Um, but what I do want to encourage you is to hear the word of God and do it. What is it God's asked you to do? Do it with radical obedience and with faithfulness. Back when we were in Wichita, we, our church had a, something we said quite often. We said, we're looking for fat people. Uh, F, faithful. A, available. T, teachable. We want faithful, available, teachable people uh, to serve. And that's what God's looking for, faithful, available, teachable people. He wants us to, to respond with radical obedience and with faithfulness. If you don't know what God wants you to do, ask him. Uh, how you're to serve the body of the believers, and then be faithfully obedient. Lori gave the announcements earlier. If God's telling you to do one of these ministries that were listed, do it. If you feel like God's calling you to be involved in the usher ministry, 
then do it. Be there early. Here, be here early. <laughs> and, you know, and do it faithfully. Whatever God calls you to do, do it. If you don't know, and if you and you're not sure what God's told you, it wouldn't hurt to ask the pastor, Pastor Tom or the elders and find out you know, what opportunities are available. There are lots of opportunities. And our ministry to one another is important. If you're not saved, what's the first work that you should do? The people asked Jesus, what is the work of God? Jesus said, believe on the one he sent. That's the work of God. Believe on the one he sent. And that's the place where you have to start. Now, in English, a lot of times we, we say, well, I believe. Uh, I believe in Jesus. I believe he was the son of God. And, stuff. And, we, and we're talking cognitive. Okay? But that's not what the Greek word means. The New Testament was originally written in Greek. And the Greek word is not cognitive. cognitive. It's relational. And so I can stand here and say, I believe that chair would hold my weight. But that's the way we use the word believe, because I'm standing over here. But if I actually got down here and got up on that chair, now this is biblical belief, because I have put my full weight, my full trust on this thing, and I can say, I believe this will hold my weight because I have fully trusted in it, see? And so that's how we have to come to Jesus, fully trust in him. But if you've come to Jesus and you do fully trust in him and you do belong to him, you have been saved, then in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Okay, that's what, we're, that's what he saved us for, for some good works. Now, what, what kind of good works? Good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I know that I, so, so here's a bundle of things. Here's good works, and these are the things I have set aside for Bruce to do before he's even born or saved. These are the things I have for Bruce to do. By the time I get to my life, life's end here on this planet, whether by rapture or by death, I don't want to leave things remaining. I want to do all the things that he's given me to do. I want that for you too. I don't want any of us to not fulfill the good works that he has prepared for us, for us who are believers, beforehand. But rather, we should do them. Jesus is our example. He said in John chapter 17, verse 4, this is his prayer before he was arrested and crucified. He said, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Jesus finished the work that the Father had given him to do. And we need to be finishing the work that he's given us to do. Not just being comfortable living in our paneled houses and being perhaps apathetic about you know, maybe just doing some things. Whatever God has told us to do, that's what we need to do. That's what we need to be busy with. Why? I'm glad you asked. Because in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, it talks about the, the body of believers being a body and Christ being the head, and then picking it up from there, from whom, the head, Jesus, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which each, uh, by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Did you catch that? Each one of us has a job, good works that we're to do. And when we do, the whole body works together. It builds us up in love. And that's why I started off commenting at the beginning about what a good church this is and how much we enjoy being here and what we see among ourselves here in Calvary Chapel, Springfield. Your expressions of love and encouragement to one another are important to the life of the church. 
May the Lord bring to our minds where we have become comfortable and have neglected to honor him by serving him in the way that he has called us to serve. I have a friend back in Sioux Falls, a man I deeply respect, uh, even though he's a few years younger than me. <laughs> he's, um, he's the man who helped me with Hebrew to get from struggling at the beginning of learning Hebrew to the point where I can read it as well as I read it today. I'm not saying I'm you know, like excellent or something, but I, he made a big, he had a big influence on my life. Okay. And he was a fireman. He retired as a fireman, but he was more than that. He was the fire chief of Sioux Falls for a number of years. And he's a great man of ability of administration and stuff like that. And so we were asking him one time, um, okay, you retired from the fire department. And uh, so then how did you decide to do Hebrew and Greek and this sort of thing, because he teaches Hebrew and Greek at the seminary in Sioux Falls. He said, that was because of my life verse. And so what is your life verse? And he said, it's Genesis eleven thirty one. I said, I don't believe I've ever met anybody who had Genesis eleven thirty one for their life's verse. What does it say? Genesis eleven thirty one says, and Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and they went out from them, with them from Ur the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. That's what Genesis 11.31 says. And I thought, well, that's, I've never heard anybody with that kind of verse for uh, a life verse. And he said, after I retired, I could have done a number of different things. I thought I have time to he likes to hunt and stuff. He's a, he's a man's man. He's an outdoors man. He's, he, uh, he said they had all these things he could do. He said, but this was his life first, and he didn't want to get comfortable. You know, they were going to the land of Canaan. They stopped, and they dwelt at Haran, and Terah finally died there. And then that wasn't until after that that Abram, Abram left to go to the land of Canaan. He said they got comfortable there. He said, I didn't want to get comfortable with where I was I wanted to press on and go to where God wanted me to be. So he learned Hebrew. He learned Greek. He went to Israel. He learned Hebrew even better over there. And then he came back and he's teaching at the seminary. And it's an amazing thing that he um, didn't want to be comfortable, didn't want to stop short of what God wanted him to do. And that would be my desire for all of us too, that we would not be comfortable and stop short of what God has called us to do. We want to be radically obedient and be faithful in performing our functions in the body. Let's pray. Our Father, we are so thankful for your word. We're thankful for the message of Haggai, and we're thankful for the historic overview that you give us in your word, that we can see uh, not only the, uh, the prophecy of Haggai, but we can see the results and how you did accomplish your purposes, uh, and even with the help of the, the king, uh, for them to get the temple set up and get the temple worship started. And um, we're thankful for the obedience of the people. And Father, I ask for us that you would show us what you want us to do. There's lots of good things for us to get involved in, lots of good things we could be doing, but we want to know what it is that you've called us to do. And we want to do what you want us to do. And we want to serve you in a way that pleases you. We want you to be glorified in our lives. And we want you to be glorified in our marriages. We want you to be glorified in our families. We want you to be glorified in our fellowship. We want you to be glorified in Springfield, Missouri. We ask that you please use us. 
and that you would uh, bring glory to yourself and to our Lord the King, Jesus Christ. So please tell us, show us what it is you want us to do and help us to walk out in radical obedience and in faithfulness and serve you to the praise of your glory. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.